I am a glasses half empty kind of guy. I tend to see the negative in most things. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, but I have been told more than once that I have a naturally grouchy disposition. Fine. I can live with that. I see no sense in coding things with fiction. When people ask me for advice on the music industry, I usually give them a curt reply like quit or don't do it. I'm not trying to obstruct anyone's path because I feel threatened or anything. And I know it makes me sound like an asshole, but if they ask me why, I tell them. There are too many rats, too many snakes in this business, too many who feed on people's dreams. And it gets hard watching bands, some of whom I call friends, get their dreams shattered. This business subsists on the knives used to stab people in the back. And all the cliches are true. The ponytail record executives, the mousy two-faced industry weasels, the entitled artistes, the entitled managers, all of it. A trip through this side of the curtain, one needs to keep their wits about them. It's enough to make the most dedicated music lover lose interest in music. God knows how many times over the years I've gone running to fetch my Walkman, that became my Discman, that became my iPod, that became my smartphone, to listen to a familiar album just to remind myself the music is why I'm here. The music is why I do this. When you get an overwhelming feeling, you're surrounded by douchebags. I know I've painted a grim picture of the music biz. That's where my half-empty outlook comes into play. But what keeps me doing this? What keeps everyone doing this? Well, playing shows for one thing. To me, it's the most honest, most visceral, unvarnished moment one can have in life that comes with an adrenaline rush that is so intoxicating it will affix itself onto your psyche until it quickly becomes a staple alongside breathing, eating, drinking, and sleeping. But that's a recount heard many times before by performers to the point of nausea. What isn't talked about as much, but probably more of a reason, are the friendships you forge while you journey doing this rock and roll thing. Sharing this experience that is both unique and fearfully intense is enough to bond for life. Going to hell and back can be a phrase that sometimes sounds like an understatement for the parties involved. Maybe I'm wrong, but there is a kinship I find when meeting others in this line of work that has a very long-lasting effect. The common thread I've noticed, whether they're in a band or not, is how they view themselves as outsiders, unable to fit in, misfits. In the case of certain people in bands, the act of performing sometimes becomes a way of tackling that belief head-on. Also, touring can be this prolonged hyper-reality where being so out of your comfort zone for so long can yield such extraordinary experiences and the people you meet leave such a fervent impression in your head. I met Allison Wolf in the beginning of 1997 when the makeup brought us down to their hometown of Washington, D.C. to play some shows and basically hang out. And hang out we did. It's one thing to be accepted in and acknowledged in your own city, but this was the first time where we were equally accepted by another city scene. Through Ian Savonius and Michelle May, we met a lot of people during our visits there, a lot of people whose records I owned, and here we were playing for them. I'll always regard this time as a magical chapter in my life. It was easy to befriend Allison. In this business where an upturned nose and snooty attitude used to mask sizable insecurity, is given merit and approval, Allison was so disarming and welcoming to us, it made quite an impression on me. Of course, when it comes to music, her CV speaks for itself. From being one of the founders of the Riot Girl movement, fronting the Riot Girl band Bratmobile, and then the Cold Cold Hearts, who ended up taking us on tour for a short stint in the States, if there's one thing you remember about her, it's that she's a fiery performer, an unforgettable singer. I've always loved her voice and how it strongly imprints whatever the band she's in. Her newest outfit is the Los Angeles-based Sex Stains, and I've quickly become a big fan. In fact, I'm going to end this podcast with an entire Sex Stains song called Don't Hate Me Because I'm Beautiful, and it's hands down my favorite song right now. I've easily heard it 50 times 
since Allison sent it to me. And I bet you'll listen to it 50 times more, too. As of this podcast recording, the Sex Stains are in the midst of recording their own album. So this is exciting news. In 2011, while working on what became Too Much Trouble, the oral history book of our band, author Stuart Berman tracked down and interviewed Allison. It was nice of her to participate, and she had some very nice things to say about us, but she also touched on one of the reunion shows we did with Bratmobile that didn't go down very well. I felt bad when it happened, felt bad when I read it in the book, and I felt bad afterwards. I even tried to reach out to her. Maybe that was the incident that had us lose touch for so many years. Well, a few months ago, wonderfully unexpected, Allison reached out to me through her band's Facebook page, something I don't really check out too often. If ever, really. But flukily, I did the day after she messaged me. She was coming to Toronto to celebrate her birthday with her twin sister, Cindy, and was inviting me to their party. Okay, so my initial reason for going, in my excessive need to put things right, was to make amends for this tiny hiccup with Bratmobile 15 years ago. But when I got to the party and I met Allison after not seeing her for all those years, I remembered why we became friends in the first place. And we ended up talking for a few hours, catching up and reminiscing. I hadn't had a moment like that with someone in a long, long time. And I was glad I saw her. I think it was during the party where I pitched the idea to do a podcast episode with her, and she gladly accepted. So a few days later, we reconvened. Of course, in a way, we'd already caught up by the time the mic started rolling, but it's a nice captured moment of us meeting again. And when I got home that day, I became aware of how much I wished Allison lived in Toronto, an occasional repercussion to friendships like these forged on the road. Thanks to Skullcandy Headphones for the Aviator Headphones. Thanks to Blue Mics for the Blue Mic Yeti Mics. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Perhaps you subscribed, so an even heartier thank you to you. Allison Wolf is this episode's guest. She's a good friend, and I can't think of a better person to kick off 2015's podcasts. And it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Tango's go out to love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fuckdown. Stop playing Hangdown. I know that disco and rock and roll aren't supposed to mix, and we all know how great a rock guitarist Danko is, but when I accompanied him one night to a disco nightclub, I watched in awe as Danko tore up the dance floor. He was like Danny Terrio, John Travolta, and Adrian Zemed all rolled into one. When he was finished dancing, the music stopped and everyone applauded. The two of us immediately left the club and ended up in a blues bar where I watched Danko jam on CCR and Chuck Berry covers till dawn. It was amazing. And I said, the Danko Jones podcast makes me feel alright. The Danko Jones podcast makes me feel alright. Number one in the world, one in the world, it makes me feel I started off on Saturday night, I think right off the bat, the first thing I had to say was, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was my apology. Because um, we asked you to participate in that book, Too Much Trouble. Yeah. And uh, you sent over, I don't know how you did it. Did you do an interview with with Stuart? I think I talked to him on the phone, but I can't remember if I wrote something also but I was happy to do it but I did tell him I was like there might be a little negative story in here is that okay and he said yeah I want to hear everything and I was like okay and I was like well it wasn't really so much my thing uh, that I was I mean I wasn't mad (laughs) but um should I tell the story yeah yeah I mean sure (laughs) um yeah, I mean, well, I have always loved Danko Jones, and I remember when you guys used to come to D.C. a lot and play and hang out, and it was always so fun and with the makeup and everything. And um, Anyways, and so then, like, I don't know, it must have been a few years later, I mean, uh, when Bratmobile got back together, and we were playing, one of the early reunion shows was um, at Dumbo in, or Dumba, I think is what it was called, in New York. And we were just arranging these shows. And um, I think, I mean, we 
you guys were in New York at the same time. I'm not sure exactly how the show got up set up, but we wanted to play with you in New York. I think we were down and, for some convention like CMJ or New Music Seminar oh, or something. You're right. I think it was and CMJ. On our, on our way back or something, something like that. And so we, you know, had arranged to play together. And um, first of all, Dumbo was a really like kind of riot girly type of space. And so we're having this like dude metal band <laughs> play with us. But I loved you guys. And um, at the time, one thing about Bratmobiles, we were always like really streamlined with kind of in a way with three people and no bassist. And so it made us really mobile, you know, made us mm -hmm. portable. Um, so we were going to head up in my car, um, which was a big old 79 Pontiac Catalina, but we couldn't quite fit everything in it. So we had to forgo something. It was either the Marshall cab or the, um, bass drum. And so, uh, my bandmates were like, well, why don't you ask Danko Jones if you could borrow, um, some of their equipment or if we could just borrow one of those things. The answer was, um, <laughs> Danko does not loan equipment or something like that. And, and so I kind of, I just, you know, and I just thought, oh, okay. And I wrote that to my bandmates. I said, well, here's the deal. We can't really borrow equipment. And they were like, why don't you tell them Bratmobile doesn't play with them? And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, come on, you know, I get it. And they were like, why don't you ask again? Aren't you friends with them? And I was like, okay. And so I think I kind of inquired a little further, but it was, um, look, we're on tour. And if something breaks, we can't skip a beat. Like we can't afford to have something break. And then we have a show the next night. And so, yeah. I mean, that rule came about from experience, but yeah, hard sure. earned experience, <laughs> but yeah. So I get it. You know, it makes sense to me. So I was like, okay, whatever. And but I think once we got to New York, we had to arrange to borrow some amp from some guy who lived like on the other side of town. So we were driving all over town. And I think we missed one of the opening bands because of it. But then in the end, for some reason, maybe this guy's amp sucked or I don't know. We ended up borrowing the opening band's um, guitar cabinet anyways. Mm -hmm. And guess what? We blew it. We blew out their amp. And so it was actually exactly as predicted, and it would have totally sucked for you guys because we, maybe we would have blown your app. So I kind of was like, we'll see. But um, I, you know, I, I, I get it. And especially after we blew the other band's amp, I thought, well, here's exactly the reason why it yeah, makes sense. But, you know, we still, you know, that rule still exists today. Yeah. But it's on a different <laughs> level. I think back then, you know, we were both, you know, just, this was a pickup show and this was just a, for us, it was a pickup show. You know, we were just en route to, I guess, home or, or to New York. We should have just lent you the amplifier. I, I really, and then, and then when I read that, I think when Stuart kind of gave me um, a rough draft of the book to read and I read that, I immediately emailed you a big apologetic email going, <laughs> look, we were assholes back then. You know, sometimes we took ourselves a little too seriously. I'm sorry. Look, I'm very sorry about that. That was the dumbest thing to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then you didn't reply. I didn't. No. So uh, ever since you emailed me about it through Facebook just, just a few weeks ago, I've like gone, oh, man, Allison. <laughs> she hates she me. She hates me. So, but she did oh. participate in the book. So maybe yeah. not so much, but I don't know. And then when you... And then it was just completely random that I picked up the message you left on our Facebook page, which I never do. Right. Um, but I saw your name, so I replied right away. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, just so you know, I'm horrible with emails and responding. So even it, it happens to everyone. And I think everyone probably thinks I'm a big jerk because I don't write them back. Well, <laughs> so it wasn't personal. <laughs> well, thank God you you replied when I think we reached out to you for the book. I don't know. How, yeah. I think I found you through I think Ian gave us, gave Stuart your contact. Yeah, yeah, I do remember Ian being in touch with me about it. And beforehand. I think we got Ian's contact. See, we're all out of touch from all those guys now, but yeah. we got Ian's contact from Vice because he was doing stuff with Soft Focus. And yeah. so we, we asked Vice to give us his contact or something, something like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it, it was nice to, to know that. 
you know, there's been a lot of apologizing I've had to do over the years when, you know, you catch up with people. But <laughs> I'm always I'm always down for like give it give it to me. Let me have it. Yeah. You know, so that was one. and I think that's the first thing I said on Saturday. Happy birthday. I'm really sorry about 15 years ago. When we oh, the show yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm sure I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. But, but. I, it was kind of funny. I just remember like um, one of my bandmates was just a, a little bit more angry about it than than the others. But she was hilarious. She was like, isn't that the band that has a song about putting their girlfriend in the trunk? <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, no. Well, and I was like, it's put your boyfriend in the trunk. <laughs> and she was so shocked all these years. She thought that you guys sang a song about was killing. Was it Aaron? Yeah, it was Aaron. <laughs> and she thought you were singing a song about killing your girlfriend and putting her in the trunk. And she couldn't believe that I liked a band like that. And we, we toured with her. I know. We toured with you guys. We were cold, cold hearts. I know, but she thought that was the lyric. And I finally, when I told her, you know, about no, that's not the lyric and that's not how the song goes. Yeah. And she was so shocked. She's like, oh, I always thought it was something else. It's wow. really funny. <laughs> and she still played with us. Yeah. <laughs> she was probably grumbling in the back going, I can't believe this. <laughs> well, there's well, one time we played with you guys, Cold Cold Hearts, um, in Chicago at Fireside Bowl. And that was one of the only times I didn't have anything to say. I could, I did not have a retort. I was speechless. <laughs> I, I, when all the girls in the crowd started to go, cock rock sucks, cock rock sucks. Oh my God. And I, I didn't, usually when it's, you know, some, someone who yells something at me, I'll yell right back. Let's go. You know, I got an answer for you. I, what do you say? Because I was like, well... From your perspective, this is cock rock, I guess, you know, in many ways. Um, so you're right. Uh, whether it sucks, I don't know. And if I was to start yelling now, I don't think it would be appropriate. Right. Seeing that we're opening for you guys. And then you came on stage and, and you said, hey, look, Danko Jones is on tour with us. And I remember, and we kind of laughed in the back of the room, there was an audible gasp. <laughs> from the crowd and I just didn't know if it was a gasp that meant um, I, you are wrong for taking this band out or was it you know oh we didn't know we're sorry I didn't know what kind of gasp it was right but uh, <laughs> that's so funny but it was I, I thought it was really nice of you to defend us like that well it's such a weird thing you know I mean I, I get it you know like I, I understand like maybe girls and I feel this way a lot, being hungry for something that's, yeah, maybe more feminist or more girl representative or whatever. And that's clearly why they came to our show or whatever. But there's also, I mean, just because I've been in Riot Girl and, and a feminist and all this, it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate various types of music. And music is, of course, a big part of my life. And I think... For me, someone who puts on a dynamic stage performance is really number one for me in seeing a band and what I like live. And you guys really brought it. And there weren't, there still aren't that many bands who actually bring it live. And I will forever appreciate that. And I've never really been a fan of um, shows or bills where all the bands sound the same or are just alike. And I guess growing up in Olympia, uh, Calvin Johnson put on most of the earlier shows, like from the 80s and then early 90s and stuff. And so I was used to going to shows where they would be like a real range on the bill. You know, I mean, our Bradmanville's second show was opening for the Melvins. So imagine oh, that. Wow. <laughs> and whenever I talked to Buzz or Dale about it, they're totally awesome. They were psyched. They were like, yeah, so awesome. And yeah. And they seem to remember all these other shows that we played with them, which didn't happen. But I'm glad that that's their memory, that we played a lot of shows with them. <laughs> but it's but that's the kind of that was the Olympia mentality. And that's the way shows were. The bands were not alike who played together. And I think it was really awesome. And it brought like it brought together all sorts of different people into a community. And it was in a small town where you had to bring everyone together into a community. You couldn't really afford to separate. 
the music might have been different, but like the kind of mindset was the same. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. Especially in the eight, late mid to late eighties, in terms of bands, and the early nineties, with yeah. the whole kind of first and second wave of quote unquote alternative music. I thought there were so many different kinds of bands, but everybody had a very similar outlook. Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, Kurt Cobain used to come to all the shows in Olympia, and he was a huge fan of, like, twee and love rock and girl bands and stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And he even got the tattoo of um, the K record stamp that was the door stamp for most of the shows. And Calvin said if anybody gets the tattoo, they can get into the shows for free. Right. Because then it's always on your hand, the stamp. And right. he did it. Right. And he, I guess he got into every show for free. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know yeah. that. That's really cool. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. I really do like to play in front of bands, uh, crowds that would, you know, aren't used to us. But that was totally different. I've, re- I've related that story to so many people. And still over the years, I I just say that was the one time I didn't know what to do. (laughs) They got me pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine, luckily I'm hard of hearing, but when we did that night that we did open for the Melvins on our second show, um, apparently Kathleen Hanna was in the audience. Bikini Kill was always there supporting us. And she said that she heard a lot of metalheads saying that they wanted to kill us. (laughs) So... I don't know if you got death threats. Apparently we did, but I didn't hear them, luckily. No, we might have if you hadn't gone on stage on the mic and said (laughs) that we were on tour with you, but maybe it was going that way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I think the Melvins, speaking of the Melvins, are a band that have put themselves in that position many times, too. I I remember that album they put out, Prick. Yes. And that it's called, the track's called Montreal, and all it is is the crowd booing them because they were on tour with Primus, who were at the... (laughs) time i think they were like on mtv and they had kind of gone overground and uh they didn't like the melvins which in hindsight is just boggles my mind but you know that uh so i understand how they appreciate it and how how we appreciate it and and, and stuff like that but uh yeah. that album's amazing i know i've been listening to it recently and at first i was like what the hell is this this isn't music it's just a bunch of noise and stuff and then i thought Wait, there's what's going on here, you know, listen deeper and stuff. But that's funny that you bring it up because I've been talking about it with my sister and Prick? Yeah. (laughs) It's such a bizarre record. (laughs) I I, I love it when bands can do that. You know, I I wish we were more flexible like that (laughs) and just put out these weird albums, just drop them in. Yeah. They kind of did it on the sly because it was a reject record from Warner, I think. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I can was... see why, but it was kind of awesome. Yeah. Do you find that, you know, people, you have to explain yourself just because of the history of Bratmobile and, and the movement that you are a part of when you do like take, you know, align yourself in, 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 in certain ways with bands like us or just kind of outside of what the realm of what people think of you? Well, is it, is I don't of... usually bother too much with explaining myself in that way. But, you know, I think I have like I liked a lot of music that I guess might come across as like manly or macho or mm-hmm. something like we also did a tour with Rye Coalition and right. I called them Manimal every night and <laughs> or the Manimals or something. And I... I love them. Yeah. But again, it's just a band that really brings it on stage and lets it all hang out. And that's really important to me. And I think in my mind, I didn't see a disconnect anywhere. Like, I'm like, this is awesome music. It's really fun. Um, they're crazy on stage. That's what's important. And I never really saw. Yeah, I never saw the disconnect there. I thought, well, I'm really into live performance and having something crazy on stage. And and Bikini Kill was for sure and stuff like that. And I mean, I guess you're right. Maybe there wasn't the same politics or something going on. But that's not the only reason I'm involved in music, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, luckily we haven't been asked about that kind of stuff too much. Oh. But yeah, you're right. I, I do remember like the show when people were, our fans were clearly really upset about you guys and us having you guys. And I just, I didn't get it. I just thought, what? What's wrong? Who cares? You know. And oh my then, God! They were locked arm in arm. 
<laughs> and the other arm was just like a fist in the air. I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. But at the same time, it's probably a good experience to be uncomfortable sometimes, you know. <laughs> oh, now when a crowd of like, I don't know, hell yeah, metalheads start booing you because you're too too lightweight, too <laughs> soft rock for them. Um, that's child's play after, after, after <laughs> yeah. going through that. Um, so yeah, I was definitely vetted in that moment, but there's also this similar, like you, you, you touched on it, how, um, you could find, you found a kinship with the performance aspect of our band, um, myself as well. When, when I would watch you perform, especially you, um, it keeps me locked on a band longer than I would any other kind of, I don't care how great the musicians are. If there is a a charismatic performer in the middle of that, that's what's going to keep me locked. And, and when we went to D.C., obviously it was because of the makeup and Ian Savonius is who he is. Yeah. One of the greatest performers I've ever seen in a rock band. And yeah. Chain and the Gang, there's been no... He hasn't lost it at no. all. No, and he's prolific. I mean, he's just constantly doing stuff, and it's always smart and funny. And yeah, I know. funny is yeah, funny is just. I was howling f- during the Chain and the Gang set, which I never do at a at a show anymore. Yeah, and when I remember when I saw Live at Cold Rice, the back cover, the Glennie Friedman shot, I just stare. That was, it was an amazing shot. It captured this it still is a yeah. one of the greatest shots and uh that shot i think really kind of captured where everybody's head was moving towards mm-hmm. and so when we we were so happy that you know those guys kind of took us under their wings and, and when we they brought us to dc there was we we met you guys and it was nice to know that a lot of people were thinking the same thing yeah um, and understood that it wasn't just like cock rock. <laughs> and then the funny thing is, since that time, we've kind of, you know, the, the cock rock tag, if someone was to lay that on us now, I would have little argument simply because, you know, our songs have become more formulaic, like in terms of writing and stuff. And there's a chorus and a, a verse and a bridge. It's just become a little more solid. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I guess we've we've changed more to the right. You know what? What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I love a lot of that stuff. Like I've always loved Danzig. I love the Misfits. I mean, even tried to when I my hair was dyed black. I tried to make a devil lock. You know, and just it's again. But it's something that's just so powerful that. I mean, his voice is so beautiful, so mm-hmm. incredible. Um, you just, you relate to it. Like, I don't know, you can't look away. It doesn't matter yeah. what you think about it. You can't look away, and that's incredible to me, and that's powerful. Um, and, I, you know, I don't believe that anything is fully, like, masculine or feminine or, oh, there's, like, male and female or whatever. I mean, we all have elements of all of this inside of us. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I was raised by a butch lesbian so i'm sure that somewhere inside even when i have my girly riot girl mini skirt whatever on um well it's not really what i'm wearing right now but um i still have this kind of something butchy inside of me somewhere hairy legs i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um you mentioned dancing so that was a lot of what we talked about on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm totally fascinated by all of this stuff that he's done. And yeah, Sam Hain just did their um, final 30-year anniversary, but final shows. Mm-hmm. and Final in quotes, I suppose. I, yeah, they say it's done. They say it's done this time. I was really sad. Not I don't know why. I didn't go to the L.A. show. I was packing the night before. I was going on a family trip to Tennessee and I wasn't prepared at all. And my friends were like, come on, come on. We have a ticket. They had a ticket. Well, I would have had to pay for the ticket, but still they did have an extra one that I would have had to pay for. And I just was like, I'm screwed. I'm not ready. I got to get up in the morning. So I don't know. But the funniest thing is being in the airport the next morning, all ready to go to Tennessee, fucking Danzig and London walk by me in the airport. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, Oh, 
I wish I'd gone to your show last night. Oh, and cool. I just thought it was funny. I was like, hey, they can rock out and still get up in the morning and get to the airport. Why couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Such a loser. Um, and so. I guess we have like a mutual friend now, London May. Yeah, I've I met him recently and he's amazing. I mean, he's I, I find him just really interesting and very talented and um, I don't know, just a really nice guy he seems really kind of open and interested in a lot of different different things different genres and mm-hmm. yeah i invited him to some of the events that i've been part of and he came to our show the other night for my new band sex stains and sex stains <laughs> yeah that's awesome it's <laughs> cool now the last time now it has been a long time but the last time you gave me music or i heard music from you um, was that uh, Deep Lust cassette, which I still have. Oh. <laughs> you made me a Deep Lust uh, compilation. Or Did I? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, so I have it. I have it with all my other cassettes somewhere um, in a box just because we, we don't live in the, uh, the time of cassettes anymore. I know. But I still have it. I still have it. But I thought it was great. Oh, thank you. Um, now, you guys put out an album, right? Did you? We have an album on Kill Rock Stars. Yeah, it was supposed to be vinyl and CD, but um, at the last minute, actually, while we were doing the artwork, uh, Slim called us and said, no record, guys. This is a CD-only release. It was just in that weird mm. time in the yeah. mid-90s when um, CDs were just so much more profitable, and I guess record sales had dropped somewhat, but they were so expensive to make because a lot of the plants were closing down or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we just, we weren't big enough, you know, we weren't there, Sleater Kinney or Elliot Smith or whatever. So we didn't get any vinyl, which is too bad because it was very requested. Um, I think I loved that band. It was like my boy band, what I call my boy band. Although I'm kind of in a boy band now. Um, a boy band because... Because <laughs> there were two boys in the band. Okay. <laughs> and now I'm in a band with three boys. <laughs> so... Um, But usually I'm in all-girl bands, so it was new for me, and there was something refreshing about it. Um, It's different. I mean, I find being working with all women very rewarding and ultimately, like, more interesting and stuff. But um, at the time, I think what I needed was a little bit more kind of emotional freedom or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved Cold Cold Hearts. I mean, I thought that our music was great. It was one of my favorite bands musically, but... I thought it was great. Oh, thanks. It was, and and lyrically, it was a really intense time for me. Like, I look back and read the Cold Cold Hearts lyrics, and it's completely insane. I'm just like, oh my God, I was going totally crazy, and I wrote all about it. Um, But I'm so glad there's a document there for that. Um, I should comb the lyrics again. (laughs) It's totally insane. (laughs) But I was going through a huge transition and a really hard time. I mean, I was leaving this kind of somewhat safe and very politicized community in Olympia and Riot Girl was kind of ending and eating itself. Bratmobile had broken up and a lot of things, you know, there was a lot of disillusion and I don't know. And I moved to DC, very male dominated town, whatever, really kind of messed up, fucked up place. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was, was living in this massive group house with a bunch of dudes who like, you know, the basics never did the dishes or anything. And just, just stuff that just, and I was, I was stripping at the time. And I just was like kind of getting a heavy dose of testosterone in my life that I didn't have really growing up in Olympia. I mean, I grew up in an all female household. Uh, my mother is very butch, feminist, lesbian, you know, and really I just, I didn't grow up with guys. So I wasn't used to this. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was in guy world in D.C. And in the scene was also pretty, I felt like pretty male dominated. I mean, I love all the bands, but it was it, it kind of felt more boyish for sure than Olympia. And I just wasn't used to it. And I was just kind of twisting and turning and reacting and complaining and whatever. But luckily, mm-hmm. I kind of put that in a creative direction in the songs. I, I I've, Maybe I'm missing Maybe I'm missing something, but what is it that created this link between Olympia, Washington, and Washington D.C. other than a similar name? I didn't yeah. understand. I, did, <laughs> I just never understood that that link because it's just yeah, it's completely weird. on the other side of the country. Yeah. But it attracted everyone from Olympia. 
I mean, really, Calvin Johnson started it. Um, I think his parents, I believe, were divorced, and one parent lived in the suburbs of D.C., and the other parent lived in Olympia, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. So he was going back and forth throughout the 80s, I think. It was mm-hmm. 80s, um, with high school, and he went to both. He lived in both places. So I think that was really it. And so he was, you know, seeking out music and venues and bands and stuff, of course, in both places. And I think he was making friends in both places and, and then ended up connecting everyone through wow. label and shows and all okay. this kind of stuff. So right. he kind of started it and then everyone else continued. But you're right. It's like as far away as could be within the U.S. And yeah, it's yeah. strange. I think once we all got to know each other, you know, it was kind of cool. And it just felt like this weird cross-country community or something. It um, felt like you guys were, yeah, from the same city when I, I mean, Ian's from D.C. And I think it was Ian and Michelle. Michelle's from Olympia. She was from Olympia. Or? Well, Centralia, actually. But outside of Olympia. Right. So she was from the West girl. Coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and because of the whole Michelle-Ian makeup yeah. connection um yeah but was... a lot of us had connected with those guys before michelle even ever came to dc oh i see I yeah see. She, she i mean she she came there in, in the mid 90s but um the rest of us were there in the early 90s like bikini kill and bratmobile were like touring over there and uh bikini kill toured with nation of ulysses um across the country and then ended up there and stayed there and kind of started living there. Um, Bratmobile, Molly, our drummer, is from D.C., grew up there. And Aaron's from Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of D.C. So we were always like kind of two-thirds D.C. And I'm mm-hmm. from Olympia. It's wild, though. Like, I started, when I moved to L.A., I started a band with girls who were much younger than me um cool moms is what we were called none of us were moms that's a great name by the way (laughs) well uh, yeah except for when people (laughs) wanted to interview us and they were always asking us what's it like to be moms and in bands and we're like oh shit we're just posers we're not moms (laughs) but uh anyways um but those girls are really awesome musically and everything but it's funny like when we'd be writing songs or talking about music they knew every weird little obscure thing and i'd be like how do you know that song how do you know about that because it's Mm -hmm. like on some random mixtape someone made me so long ago yeah and i was like oh yeah the interweb (laughs) (laughs) but still you still have to put the time to listen to it and have it sink into your brain yeah that's that's the one thing i'm i feel old when like I hear these kids and they're just, they're their bands and yeah, like you said, they've they've got so many wide influences that that run deep. Yeah. And I and I was just why? Where do you find the time to not just listen to it? Because anyone can listen to a record, but like you have to listen to it enough times for it to sink into your head, yeah. for it to influence you. Where yeah. Do you, where is all this time? Don't you have like video games and television shows to watch? That's what I was doing. I guess I watched too many reruns of the Jeffersons that they're not doing. Oh, but yeah, there, but there is something about the kind of personal experience of discovery. And, and I don't know, I, I'm a kind of, I'm a lazy listener and I'm also lazy. I don't really like to hang out in record stores that much anymore or anything, but I, all of my musical exposure is just kind of based on who I meet and who gives me a record and where I happen to actually buy one. And, but I like that. I like mm-hmm. that. It's really personalized. It's like, I know about this band cause we played with them once, or I know right. about them cause someone handed me that record once and said, you, you'll really like this. And I remember all of those experiences and connections. So it's a really personal connection to each song or each band or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I, I remember, Recent, not recently, a couple of years ago, I was going through my record collection and I was like, I have too many records for the space that I'm living in. I need to get rid of a lot. So I went through, a, I got rid of a few hundred, but I went through them all and there's so many records, even though I don't necessarily listen listen to it or I have it now on MP3, I don't really need to keep it, that there was this, this story to this piece of vinyl that I'm holding in my hands, whether it was, like you said, given 
to me by the band and this happened and this happened or this reminded me of this time. Right. So that's one thing that I think gets lost in the whole MP3 thing. Although I'm not really precious with it anymore. I have an iPod. I have you know, a Terra drive of, of, of albums as well. So yeah, it is what it is. Well, I'll DJ with my records and I realize that most of them have been played way too much on really shitty record players. And so yeah. <laughs> when I'll DJ with them, I was like, wow, that just sounds horrible. And I'm torturing everyone's ears here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well loved. Tell me about Sex Stains. Mm, yeah, that's uh, the band I've been in uh, most recently in L.A. It took a while to form and get it together. Another great name for a band, I must say. <laughs> Thank you. We're lucky. We got that suggestion from kind of uh, posting on our Facebook that, ah, we need a name. Do you have, um, do you have anything out? Um, we have some demo songs we've recorded, which I can give you or yeah. email you. Um, but we really need to record. And that's one thing is like just getting five people together is a challenge for me. I've never been in a band with that many people. And it's it's L.A. Things are more laid back there. It's sunny all the time and people are separated by greater distances and driving. And yeah. it's flaky. It's hard to get. <laughs> and bu- people are busy, but it's also flaky and they don't want to drive anywhere, you know, and drink and drive and all this. So sometimes it's just hard to get everyone on the same page or in the same place. You can do it through the interwe- interwebs now, through the Internet. <laughs> you would think. But so much of our our relationships are very, like, kind of conversation based. Like, we love getting together and talking. And, I mean, we really love each other and get along really well. And so half of the practices are just us catching up and gossiping and talking and then we finally get around oh okay let's run through the set or let's write a song i don't know i suppose but. that's when it works in the band's favor when there's nothing to say just <laughs> the only thing to do is play is play i know and we're the worst at that i mean i can't even tell you the smoke breaks and whatnot it's mm. insane I, and i don't smoke so sometimes i'm like uh, you guys get back in here <laughs> But um, but it's been fun, and they're really just some of the greatest musicians and most creative people I've worked with. And um, there's two singers, me and this other girl, Mecca. And I really had a goal of being in a band with two singers. I didn't want to be the only lead singer. And I love it because we really kind of play off of each other and feed off e- each other, and we write our own things. And sometimes... They seem completely separate, but they kind of intertwine within what the, the song. Lyric-wise? Yeah, lyrically and everything. Yeah, we don't necessarily consult each other in what we're writing. I mean, we're there together, kind of hearing each other, uh-huh. but we don't necessarily try to make it just like what the other person's doing or even fit in theme-wise, but it somehow works. So it's drums, bass, guitar, and then two, two vocalists. Yeah. This band, I think the influences are a little more varied, um, but they're some of the best musicians in town. And the way that I got to kind of meet most of them was through um, doing these kind of tribute bands that were happening. Like some of them go, oh, there's this crass penis MV album. They want different girl singers for each song. And so I kind of got involved in that. And that's where I met Mecca. And I saw her on stage and she just blew everyone away and I was like oh I want to play with her (laughs) and then we did some kind of rough trade band uh, night where we did different songs from rough trade records and um, Sharif was one of the guitarists and he was amazing and really fun and stuff and had great style and I was like oh I want to play with him and then David our drummer was in both the rough trade and the slits tribute night that we did and he's just amazing drummer and so I was like oh I want to play with him so it's kind of been, you know, kind of handpicking from musical experiences in L.A. But I, I like living in L.A. because I feel like it's just a little bit easier to be creative there. And I've had a lot more creative opportunities. And even if it was just like kind of these weird tribute nights, I was getting asked to play and to join with mm. other people and without, without a lot of pressure. Because I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, if Allison's in the band, then that's this whole persona mm. or this whole package. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, no, I, I just want to play with people and just try something. And it can be different. It doesn't have to be like 
Ratmobile or Riot Girl or whatever, but I think people are sometimes afraid to touch it at all. You know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, you will, you will obviously always be aligned with the whole Riot Girl movement, but do you find it sometimes to be a little bit of a, a tag that limiting? Yeah, you want to kind maybe. of issue that. Is that? I mean, well, it, I even don't. to say that might yeah. rise get people. I mean, I'm proud of like kind of where I come from and what I've done and what my voice is or is known to be. So I would never want to kind of shrug it off um, the way I feel like there, there have been some people who were involved in Riot Girl who I felt were like we're really trying to hide from that tag or from that box and trying to be, no, we're musicians. And I'm like. I don't want to cave in to anyone's even like say sexist notions of like or feeling like oh you have to move away from that because in a way moving away from Riot Girl or a punk rock feminism is kind of like moving away from feminism and I think if you were I don't know you know if you're a female in this world it's that's kind of suicide like why would you dis feminism right and I, I know that it was kind of part of an era of third wave feminism and stuff um, so I never can really divorce myself from that, and I don't want to. But I do feel like it's the limitations aren't necessarily from that. It's more like people's kind of messed up perceptions of what that is right. and what that might mean now. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So I feel like it's more like some people I've kind of tried to work with are like, oh, well, I don't want to be... That's in the Riot Girl box. Or they'll sometimes ask me, like, well, don't you play any instruments? And I'm like, this is my instrument. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want to sing. I want to perform. I want to talk. I want to whatever. Um, I can be part of something. I don't have to be the main thing. But I think, yeah, I think it's probably given me more limited opportunities as far as joining in with whoever and whatever. Yeah, whenever I'd hear, whenever I'd hear you sing in whatever outfit you were singing in, I never immediately related it to Riot Girl or a movement or anything. Right. It was just your voice. And then when I'd see you live, it was the performance. I, 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 I have to remind myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, this comes with this whole movement that everybody is like watching and yeah. following. But yeah. for me, I just took the music as it was. Yeah. Which um, I think is possible. Of course. Know? Yeah, so it's not it's never just one thing. And also, I mean, we were never really like our lyrics. My lyrics are more about kind of how the personal is political and kind of trying to build self-esteem in ourselves or in young girls or whatever, or just to call people out on like sexist behavior or whatever. But it's never real blatant. I mean, I feel like Bikini Kill was much more obvious in that way and uh, powerful as well. Um, and I love that. But I've just never really been able to write songs like that. Um, that are that direct, I guess, about a lot of issues. Right. So I kind of tend to put it more in personal terms or personal relations, which is just my style. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think in a lot of ways, sometimes I'm surprised when people are like, oh, they're really blatantly, you know, oh, they're Riot Girl, that's really feminist or whatever. Because I'm always like, oh, I actually wish I were more blatantly political or politicized i i just don't know how to write lyrics that are more more political i guess right. um i don't know but yeah it's a mixture but i think yeah i'm i'm happy with what we're doing now and i really we need to get get it together and record an album we have an album's worth of songs i think it's just about trying to figure out who to record with and make it happen well like you were saying on saturday uh, living in LA is exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, so many distractions because yeah. everything that you want to see is happening every night of the yeah. of the year. Yeah, um, so, yeah, it's hard not to go out every night. Yeah, and, and there's stuff that is sometimes it's obligations, but it's also just stuff I really want to check out and yeah. see, or people I really want to see or support. And it's the older I get, I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausting myself. And I never quit my day job. So, I mean, I've always worked. Yeah. So I still have to go to work in the morning. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the things you were saying that that was happening in L.A. or happened in L.A., I mean, that would never come here. 
You know, that's something that you kind of dream up on a piece of paper going, wouldn't this be awesome if this happened? And that happens every night in L.A. somewhere. Yeah. Same with New York, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, New York felt that. I lived in New York for a few years right before moving to L.A. And you're right, it's very similar. But New York's kind of easier to get around. <laughs> but, but still, the weather's not as good. Yeah, that's, that's troubling. Yeah. L.A., that whole everybody has to drive to get anywhere situation. Yeah. Growing up on the East Coast and the subways and everything, that to me is another world. That's just, I don't, yeah. I don't get that. It sucks. I mean, it is the thing that, of course, everyone says sucks in L.A. And it really does because I, I hate driving. I'm not a driver. I really hate it. Um, when I lived in Washington, D.C., I rode my bicycle everywhere for transportation. Mm-hmm. When I lived in New York, I walked and took the subway everywhere. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was in L.A. and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but I love it for in other ways. I mean, there's there's great things about it. But, yeah, it's I don't know. It's a different kind of challenge. Well, thanks a lot, Allison, for for doing this. And it was really nice to meet up with you after all these years. Did you say that just now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to have a response to that? No, that's it. <laughs> Danko, it was wonderful seeing you again and catching up. And uh, I hope, let's do it again soon. Yeah. I hope to come back to Toronto more often. My sister Cindy lives here. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's thank been God really for nice. Facebook. I know, and the interweb and everything. Yeah. <laughs>